0: We have facts, two idiots guide to all things the national on a journey to learn more about music and save their dying friendship. I'm your host, Ali Abilatouf, and with me as always is my co-host and sometimes friend, Justin Tachi. Hey, Justin. Hey! Uh,
1: today we have a very special episode. Um, if you listen to the last episode, episode one, or episode two of uh, season two, this is a bonus episode where I got the privilege, I had the privilege of interviewing Ray Harkins. I mean, I shouldn't say interview, it was just a nice conversation chat
0: you chatted Uh, with him
1: yeah chatted with him um if you don't know who ray harkins is he was and is the uh lead vocalist for um the band taken um i highly recommend listening to their uh their latest seven inch which is uh with regard to um he also runs a very awesome podcast called 100 words or less i equate it to being the mark marion of independent music um he puts it out weekly it is a Just a really good deep dive. I mean I take a lot of my interviewing uh, abilities, which if you want to call them that, (laughs) um, uh, from Ray. I think that he is a really – has really good conversations on his podcast. I can't recommend the podcast enough. He has guests ranging from Jim Adkins all the way to uh, uh, Mike Judge from Judge. So – you get a really good feel of just like everything, anything that's been touched by independent music, he will interview and talk to. He even recently, just as recently had, um, the uh, lead vocalist from, uh, the get up kids and also the weaker Than's. Um, so I really had a great conversation with him. Uh, we talked about the national, we talked about death Cab for cutie, but, um, I felt like this conversation went really in a, in a I wouldn't say an unexpected, uh, Half, but it got deep and i think that it was really um uh i don't know how to say it, but just like it,
2: it,
1: it got deep but it, it was kind of really important and i think uh that we talk about a lot of things like on here about cancer um uh how music can move a person how um uh being uh vegan and straight edge and how that can affect your family and how you want to push your how you don't want to push some your values on people that you're raising, but uh, maybe guide them a little bit. So uh, I think the conversation went really well, and I'm really excited about it, and really proud of it. So and I really want to thank Ray for coming on the show. Uh, I don't know why he chose to come on the show, but it I I really couldn't think of more. So.
0: Now I will say this: This is the first episode that was ever recorded without me. So, like, I was not in the room for this. I was not on Skype for this. I was not anywhere near this episode. So, if this does amazingly, uh, I will have nothing to blame but myself for why this show sucks so bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, did you listen? To, did you actually listen to the whole
2: episode? Yes, I listened to it the whole way gonna...
0: through, uh, and it was a great interview. And we're not going to talk about it more because people are about to listen to it um we might bring it up next episode when we're talking about cherry tree join us then for that uh i was gonna make a dumb joke about whether liam neeson was involved with the band taken but i'm not gonna do that now because i'm above it um (laughs) uh, follow us on social media at the facts pod twitter and instagram you can email us we have the facts pod at gmail.com we'd love to know what you guys think about the episodes and this episode specifically uh go support ray harkins and, and listen to his podcast and support his band um was there anything to plug about that
1: uh, no, I mean, just, just listen to a hundred words and subscribe to a hundred words of less podcast. Um, couldn't, couldn't recommend it enough. And also listen to the band taken. Um, they are a hardcore band, so it might not be your perfect cup of tea, but the lyrics are very emotive. They are a very inventive hardcore band. Um, especially that latest record, it deals with his wife having, um, going through having a rare form of cancer and him dealing with that situation. So it definitely pulls at your heartstrings. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I'll just leave it to the conversation. Here's my conversation with Ray. Okay, so screw what I just said to you. We're just going to only talk about Doom Society right now, because that's <gasps> the most important. <laughs> I. It's uh, It makes me sad that I don't have my
3: uh, Doom Society was the first band that I played in. It makes me sad that I don't have our, I think I, I might have our original demo tape, but I really, really want digitized versions of it. And it's just because it's so like, it's the perfect first band. Like I could not be more proud of how first band that <laughs> that that recording was
1: yeah no I, just, I i had to throw that in there <laughs>
3: i appreciate it i appreciate it. De- de- uh, deep cut deep cut yeah
1: exactly um for for those who don't know uh this is ray uh have ray harkins on the show he uh, was in the band taken well is in the band taken uh since they reunited um and also he runs the hundred words or less podcast uh if you don't listen to it you need to uh stop fucking up <laughs> um but i guess let's uh dive in just uh kind of going into uh Ray, what's your relationship with The National?
3: Yes, uh, The National is, uh, pro- yeah, I would say, like, you know, top top 10, top 15, like, favorite bands of all time. Um, they just, uh, uh, you know, I'm in the bag for them. Like, basically anything that they release, I most likely will enjoy at this point. But I think I... Uh, I first discovered them when I was working at a record store called Bionic Records here in Southern California. But the thing is, is I like I just it was only when they had their self-titled record out, the one where you know the dude is leaning out outside of the pool or whatever. And I just I didn't listen to it because I was just like the the people that were buying the records in the store. I was like, oh man, these people suck. Like I don't, you know, it's the usual elitist yeah. record store trope. And, uh, I, I just didn't, yeah, I just didn't, I just didn't care for it. But then it wasn't until I want to say it was like 2000, I want to say 2010, 2011. Yeah. Around that time is when, um, I took a trip out to, I I got hired to, uh, work at PETA, the animal rights organization doing like their celebrity marketing manager. I can't remember the title, but I, uh, I had, um, you know, boxer and alligator on my, I'm fairly certain it was an iPod. (laughs) It wasn't the iPhone, (laughs) but, uh, I had those records and and I liked them, but it was like, you know what it's like when all of a sudden you like unlock an artist and you're like, Oh, like now I am absolutely obsessed with them. And so that, that whole trip, it was, I was, I was out in Norfolk, Virginia for like a week. And I like, that was like, all I could listen to is both those records just over and over and and over and over. And like, I, uh, yeah, and at, at that, then at that point, I was like, okay, I have to see them. I have to know everything as, as I possibly, as much as I possibly can about them. And then, um, yeah, I just became obsessed with them. And then, then uh, you know, High Violet came out and everything else. And it was just, yeah, it was off to the races at that point.
1: Yeah. I mean, I feel like, uh, for most bands, like kind of like that, especially with like, I mean, at that point they only had a couple records out, but I feel like once the floodgates open, it's just like I need to know everything <laughs> um, about this band. Um, and I also feel like, like you, it's funny you should say like going on a trip to like Virginia is like. Um, I feel like a trip by yourself is all you need to kind of get into that band, especially when a band has like a vast discography or something like that. I remember like when I was doing well, I was like really hesitant to start Radiohead because I knew it was like, all right, this is a lot. <laughs> but, um, And then I finally right. went on a trip and then like it, it, it kind of clicked. So um, how many times have you seen the National Live? Um,
3: I'd have to say, I mean, it's less than 10, but definitely, I, I want to say it's around maybe like seven, eight, like around that around that mark um i saw them a ton on high violet and then uh, a couple of times on uh, trouble will find me i haven't seen them uh i haven't seen them on the sleep well beast uh touring cycle at all um and not because i don't like the record or anything but it's like you know you get you get to a certain point when you've seen an artist a decent amount of times and especially people like you and i who go to you know a decent amount of shows uh you kind of like you, you get the experience and not in a bad way not like oh okay like whatever i get them like I, yeah, they're not going to do anything <laughs> different but i just don't yeah, need no. to r- rush out unless it's like um you, i mean i think the best time that i saw them play uh they played the uh it's like the hollywood cemetery here oh, where it's okay. basic yeah they do uh and i saw them they played with uh, daughter opened up which was you know an incredible experience oh, and it was a. Awesome. Uh, yeah, it was so cool. And uh, yeah, for, I mean, for most people that don't live in Southern California, the uh, the Hollywood Cemetery, which is basically like, you know, right on, I want to say sunset, um, you know, they basically close the cemetery down to have a show. Like there's this huge grassy patch where, you know, they can set up a stage. They do movie screenings there. They do a ton of cool events, but they occasionally do big shows and the National played there. And it was just, you know it couldn't be more perfect than national playing in a cemetery. So,
1: <laughs> Oh yeah. Like that's like, it's like hauntingly beautiful. Like a lot of their, like, especially like a high violet in trouble. Will find me. It's just like, I feel like that just like paints the scene kind of thing. Um,
2: oh, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Um, so like, I guess going in, in, into the bands, like what record resonates with you the best?
3: Um, I would say that. Uh, I mean, I think High Violet is the one that that will. I'll always, if I want to listen to the national, I'll kind of always go to that. Um, but then, you know, I mean, Alligator and Boxer, like all all of those, like maybe as a record, I don't like them as much as High Violet. But there's, you know, clearly there's songs that are still part of their set list now that are off those records that are still so so good. Um, but yeah, I would say High Violet was the one that really you know, whatever to, to use basis of comparisons where it's just like, you know, people are like, Oh, Converge and Jane Doe. It's like, you know, the yeah. national and high violet. Like and plus I think that was where they reached that critical mass of people where it was like all of a sudden, you know, they were playing to you know huge huge theaters uh, as opposed to you know not like before they were unsuccessful because they were but I definitely think that that just pushed them up to like oh yeah of course they can headline you know like Bonnaroo or whatever you know
1: yeah exactly well and I I feel like it's funny because I didn't get into the band until trouble will find me um so I they were already pretty successful at that point but I feel like even at that point there were a band like the biggest band that no one knows if you will I don't know totally. like, if that, it kind of resonates with it. Because like, like, I had this feeling of like, I would talk to people and be like, wow, this album's amazing. Like, why isn't it like, like, hey, like, talk, you know, talking to my friends and being like, hey, what's going on? Like, do you listen to them band? And they're like, I don't even know who that is. And it's just, it, it, it was crazy at the time, I felt like.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, no, I agree. Because it, it is one of those things where this, I understand why people do not like this band. Like, I can clearly see the... um you know, the unappeal, <laughs> the, 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 the reasons why people would not like, you know, hit Matt's vocal styling, um, you know, just how kind of, you know, one note that a lot of their songs seem like I get that, that notion. Um, and so to me, it, it, to me, it was surprising when they grew as big as they did because it was such a, you know, yes, a lot of people like sad songs, like they like yeah. <laughs> to bask themselves in that sort of yeah, musical, um, you know uh, atmosphere but they're in so many respects like the national is it takes effort to find them catchy if that makes sense you know like they're not that immediate band that like blows you out of the water with like you know some some hook it's kind of like oh like something kind of sticks in and then it you know after like 10 or 15 listens all of a sudden you're like oh yes like i'm humming along to that and i understand it whereas like you know most people don't have the time to listen to a record 10 to 15 times they have to listen to it two or three times and then be like oh yeah i'm over it or whatever
1: or let alone just the singles like you know what i mean like it must be yeah um uh well it's funny because like the way i describe them to to friends is like, if Joy Division was an indie band, like like had the indie stylings of like <laughs> the 90s. <laughs> and, sure. like, and it's like, I feel like they're, they're very much in that, like they're so punk, like they're post-punk, but they're not. <laughs> so that's why I think there's that gap of like people not being able to get into them. Uh, they're, at least they're not as accessible. But like on the new record, Sweep All Beast, you have like The Day I Die, like that kind of track, I feel like is finally the first, like, I feel like that's like their most accessible track, really, honestly. Yeah,
3: you're probably right from that perspective of the fact that they, you know, they've kind of done all they needed to do within the context of that, you know, whatever, uncatchy, like, you know, just kind of, um, you know, navel gazing, like, I, I'm using all these, like, in, you know, a pejorative sense, but like, I, you know, I love it. So I don't, there's no way that I'm, I'm making fun of it at all. But just like the what critics would say about them. Um but then, yeah, like on their newest record, they definitely could lean into different. Um, you know, this sounds so pretentious. Sonic palettes, <laughs> and be like, <laughs> yeah, I could. I, I we could do a little bit more. We could be a little bit more. You know, traditionally, uh, you know, pop structured or whatever. Um, even though most people would not hear that, but people like you and I that have listened to the band for a while was like, oh wow, like that's like a that's like a typical song structure or whatever. <laughs> you know.
1: Yeah, exactly. You're like what? <laughs> um, well, it's. I mean, for me personally, I think that like you getting back to your point of like the record that resonates with you the most, I kind of go back to high violet the most. Cause I feel like the record as a whole, cause I really like continuity and like um, tracks kind of leading into the next very easily. I think that in my opinion is their best record in that sense. But I think trouble will find me has like the most bangers quote unquote.
0: <laughs> yeah,
3: no, no, no I, I, I would agree with that. I mean, I think both of the, both of those records um, you know the kind of one-two punch where it's like because you know as you were talking about before where if you are you know new to an artist and you're trying to figure out you know the best you know focal point for you trying to get into an artist it's like there's definitely no better way to be like oh yeah here's high violet and here's trouble will find me um, and then if you like both of those then you can go anywhere with this band's catalog and really be satisfied with it you know um, but it is Even though, you know, whatever, the band is five full lengths, it's not like, you know, what you're talking about, like, Super Chunk or any of those other bands where it's just like, oh, yeah, like, Archer's a loaf? Where do I begin with that? It's like, oh, dude, I don't I don't know. And so, uh, yeah. And I think the one thing that I also found interesting about, you know, watching them rise on, uh, you know, High Violet was just all of the um, all of the uh, the amount of, you know, press and like late night TV uh, appearances. And like, it, it was just so interesting because, the you know it's not like the band is incredibly exciting live you know it's not like they're you know jumping around no but like the way that they're able to create a mood and an atmosphere um is you know that's like part of the uh magic of the band but them being able to you know kind of do that in the context of these weird you know press experiences i'm just like it's weird that they're played like jimmy fallon or you know late show it's like how like I mean it's cool that they do that, but like I don't know how people react to that. They're just like, "What is this? This is weird," you know. But it's cool yeah. for them.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, especially like seeing them on like Stephen Colbert or something like that. Like, right, right, I mean, like right. I, yeah, like I've I've seen Stephen Colbert reach. I I feel like he has like that kind of taste, if you will, and totally. like it, it kind of lends well to that. Like for instance, he had like Grizzly Bear back when he was doing like the 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 Colbert Report, and that kind of like. I mean, even like a band like that, I don't think is is kind of in the same realm as the national where it's like not as accessible and stuff like that. So, um, but I guess, um, going back to boxer, I feel like it's funny because, um, now that boxer has, um, uh, reached its 10 year point, I feel like they're kind of giving it to do because I felt like, do you feel like boxer didn't really get it to do at the time? Cause I feel like that's kind of the thing.
3: Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's, uh, when especially when bands you know kind of hit later in their um you know quote unquote career where it's like yeah it's their fourth or fifth or sixth LP and then it's like hey guys like we got a lot of good music that we put up before that <laughs> like stuff that we're still proud of um and especially too because like if I remember correctly they got uh, you know I mean, it, it was a ton of like critical praise for that particular record and like I, I remember it being on like TV shows like they got a ton of placements as far as like, you know, just a perfect spot on whatever Friday Night Lights or, you know, they just had all these uh, placements. And I I think that, uh, you know, kind of because of that and because obviously they've become more successful over time that they can look back and be like, you know, hey, anybody that missed that thing, like, here's (laughs) we're circling back
1: around, like, check this record out yeah exactly like I mean for instance like I was in line on record store day I don't know if you were but uh <laughs> I got the uh, the boxer live in Brussels record and I was like yes. wow this is just awesome <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah totally no it, it's cool too because like I think with bands like the national too they uh there's it would be very easy for them to you know mine like whatever that record store day release like I of course got it but um you, you could easily see the you know who whatever some business manager being like all right let's put out you know a ton of records for you know this particular like oh we recorded like 10 live shows or whatever and of course people would buy it immediately um but i feel like they're they're very uh specific and calculated um i mean you know whatever you watch their documentary yeah mistaken for strangers exactly you watch that and you're just like oh like you know these dudes know exactly what they want and like that is a really really difficult task to get you know four five six people on the same page when they're trying to do something creative and it's uh yeah it's just cool like you you feel like they could easily exploit their fans in a real (laughs) real way but they don't
1: well and and i feel like it even comes back to like the band i felt like was so comp confident even in their first record they hadn't played any shows yet and they recorded a 45 minute record not like hey let's just like get in the studio and do like an EP or something. It's like no fuck it let's just do a whole record 45 minutes like that's crazy.
3: Yeah no it, it's a very good point. I mean that I think a lot of that has to I always kind of wished and I know that there isn't really a like punk or hardcore thread in these dudes. It's not like they came up you know playing in punk bands or anything like that. Yeah. Um which I you know it's like in my wildest dreams I always try to connect most of my favorite bands to the fact that they started playing in that (laughs) stuff but uh I I I don't in many respects I don't think a band like the National had a choice to you know kind of like do I mean obviously they worked hard and they toured and they did all that but like you know if they released like a, a you know a four song demo and then you know maybe eventually they released a seven inch or whatever like it seems like they had to make their opening statement being like yes like that that is what we were doing in the same way that like you know whatever not not to compare them to you know bands that came prior but it's like you know the strokes and like all of that you know that new york scene that popped off in the early 2000s like no one in their right mind could ever imagine you know the strokes releasing a demo it's like you just come out with your full length dude like everybody's waiting for it you know
2: well
1: and i I feel like i mean you and me uh come from like the hardcore scene and like going to see punk bands and like basements and all that kind of stuff like i don't feel like there's a place for these sorts of bands to to even do that you know what i mean like it's it doesn't exist or at least i mean i shouldn't say that because there are some bands that kind of go around like even like i live in boston it's like you go to alston and there's all these basement shows with like indie bands and stuff like that but even like in the early 2000s i feel like that just didn't exist so right it kind of makes sense
3: no totally It's like what you know a a band that i you know am, am not as obsessed with as i used to be but was like totally totally pot committed to in their you know early to mid 2000s was interpool and like you know i i mean i've seen i've probably seen interpool more times than i've seen the national just because like you know on on antics and turn on the bright lights like i saw them religiously and again it's a band that you like you in many respects you feel comes like fully formed to, to to the table, you know, where it's like they're pl- they're playing, you know, this these songs off their first record and they're playing, you know, whatever, you know, 1500 to 2000 cap venues and people are losing their minds and stuff like that. And yeah, there in many respects there uh, isn't a space for or the reason that bands can kind of get vaulted to that area are the fact that, you know, they are deemed cool by one thing or another you know where it's like whatever i look at bands like you know like modern baseball is an example yeah you know obviously a popular band but they would never ever ever get accepted by you know what i'm just painting it with a broad brush here but like you know the indie rock pitchfork world or whatever it's like oh these are cute kids doing their thing but like you know we like music by adults and like that's where interpol the national and like bands like that can step in um and be not immediately successful in their first record but at least be given the uh, I would even say benefit of the doubt but be, be given the credence to be quote unquote cool as opposed to like oh these are just some kids playing pop punk or whatever
1: yeah, and I, I feel like it's also just like interesting that it's just like people just show up with money already, like for these these sorts of bands. Like it's yeah. just like, oh, we're adults, so like it's adult prices, so cool. You know what I mean? Whereas like you know some That's of the bands like Modern Baseball like struggle to like sell a ticket for fifteen bucks. I mean, not anymore. I mean, obviously they're they're on hiatus or whatever right now. But just yep. uh, you know, bands like that kind of um, yeah,
3: no, for sure. So it's it's very yeah, it's very it, it's this this duality that. um i i mean it's like i understand to a point but it's like i've always you know really look at the fact that's like why why can't like yes there are scenes for those sort of bands you know whatever Interpol strokes national that sort of stuff and of course they play smaller shows to kind of ramp up to get to where they need to be you know when they're playing you know bowery ball or whatever but uh yeah, but sometimes it's like, you know, I'm just like, well, why why can't these bands that are, you know, playing to 100 to 200 kids like, you know, get kind of thrown up to that level um, that are playing, you know, the basement shows and stuff like that. I mean, it happens a little bit now where, you know, whatever, like, you know, Julian Baker and like that whole sort of scenario. But, you know, at the same time, it's like they... <clears throat> Artists like that aren't carrying around as much baggage as, um, you know, bands like whatever, modern baseball and stuff like that, because people just think it's like, you know, little kid stuff or whatever.
2: Well,
1: yeah, and I I feel like it, it's it's just so rare. I mean, me and your friend Joey actually were talking about this. It's like, and you were talking about this in your um with uh, Jeremy too in your uh, 2018 top albums episode. It's like I feel like a lot of bands. It's hard to cross over into like, hey, like like Julian Baker was successful enough that she is accepted by the hardcore community. Like, can weirdly enough, I think she could play a show with fucking Turnstile and then next week play with fucking the National. Yep. Totally. So that's like completely fine, which like in it, I mean, maybe in the 90s when like bands were just like a ska band, a hardcore band and like a post hardcore band. were all playing together and that's completely fine. It, it, in today's realm, it doesn't seem possible.
3: <laughs> so, um yeah, it's definitely it's definitely more um, siloed where it's yeah. like, yeah, this this you kind of got to, you know, stay in your lane. And it's not like anybody is saying that you know explicitly people it's just kind of like the way that uh you know the the music industry as a whole kind of crumbles you know every the grass is always greener on the other side where it's like i you know this is such a random example but like i when i was working at century media records i was working with this band called in this moment Mm
0: -hmm. and
3: uh they are you know like whatever now they're like an active rock like you know female singer like it's what you would imagine playing You know, on any radio station in the Midwest where it's just like, you know, soaring vocals, like hard rock, like whatever. But (laughs) the record that I worked with them on, they were kind of, you know, they wanted to kind of break into the Warp Tour world. And so they did Warp Tour and stuff like that. But it was so interesting because it was just like trying to work with a band who, you know, has some tenuous connections to that scene per se. And sonically, you know, it made sense. But uh, it was just interesting to try to like navigate that world. And try to get a band in front of an audience that would probably reasonably like them, but uh, don't have the sort of you know the sign off or the cachet to be able to walk in there and be like, oh yes, like in this moment, oh yeah, you're on hopeless, so of course you're cool. It's like oh you're yeah, on Century
1: definitely. Media, uh, I don't know, maybe we we gotta <laughs> we gotta warm up to it. So yeah, <laughs> um, I guess and, and and I guess in all saying this, I guess t- to transition uh, going into Death Cab, I feel like that's an indie band that is very much did the punk beginnings they played the basement shows they played like that kind of stuff um and and, and it was interesting to like it's interesting to compare the two the national and and death cab, and how that kind of inter interplays because like they would tour with bands that don't make sense with them and all that kind of stuff so uh i guess diving into it like what is your relationship with death cab for cutie
3: Uh, Yeah, no, it's a great point. And they definitely are a band that was able to thread the needle and be able to, um, you know, do things in their own terms, but kind of be accepted. Uh, over time, to a wide variety of audiences, from you know both the you know indie basement scene all the way up to people who heard them on you know the OC or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, yeah, my relationship was I uh, I couldn't stand the band. I really you know like whatever. I, I can't even like I'm not going to pretend to hit their r- record titles right on pre-transatlanticism because I just frankly I still don't listen to them. That's um, all good. <laughs> some, something about airplanes, you know, whatever. We have the facts like those. Mm-hmm. And I, I listen to those records now and I'm like, you know, they're, they're cool. Um, but it, it wasn't until transatlanticism and frankly, um, listening to, uh, you know, Ben and Postal Service where I was like, I was like, oh, I like the I like the guy's vocals. Like they're not as um I guess for me, the earlier records, uh, I guess, were just too, quote unquote, whiny, um, even though like I like music that is, you know, way, quote unquote, whinier than what Ben yeah. was doing.
1: Quote, quote unquote, sad boy. Yeah, <laughs> precisely.
3: Um So you know, I kind of got warmed up to his, uh, you know, his vocal stylings from uh, Postal Service, and I was like, okay, and you know, when Postal Service came out, I definitely was that guy where I was just like, dude, I hate Death Cab, but I love Postal Service, and it's just (laughs) like, what world do you exist in, dude? It's like, yeah, (laughs) such a hard stance on that.
1: Well, and I feel like that that record, weirdly enough, like the, the give up, like weirdly gave this kind of lending force to death cab. Like it caught people like you and then it gave them room to breathe and make transatlanticism.
3: Yeah. Oh, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, I, the fact that all of a sudden they were able to capture an audience that like literally did not know this type of music existed <laughs> and all of a sudden <laughs> usher them into it. Um, but yeah, so, but then, you know, transatlanticism came out and then I was like, okay, like I'll, I'll, not only listen to this record but i will you know really try to find my way into it and uh yeah that at that point that's when it's just like the you know the band completely washed over me that record is you know flawless i was uh, not even in anticipation of this conversation i was listening to Translanticism yesterday and i was just like god this record's like there's there's nothing wrong with it there's nothing wrong with it um and then plans came out and everything but ever since then i've always been like just uh, every record I not only make an effort to obviously buy and consume um, but I enjoy I've, I've enjoyed all their output since then
1: yeah I mean I I mean I have translinticism the album cover tattooed Army it's my favorite album so like <laughs> <laughs> you like I get it I get it <laughs> so um but uh it, I mean the band and it as a whole like I I mean that, that record is just like flawless from beginning beginning to end it, it seamlessly works together I mean uh, I'm not gonna talk more about it because you could listen to that whole hour conversation that I have with my with my co-host about it. But right. um, to those listening, anyway. Um, but I'm curious now. Like, uh, you know, plans comes out, narrow stairs comes out. How do you feel about the new era of Death Cab? Like, yeah, post Chris Walla. <laughs> yeah, post Chris um, Walla. Yeah, yeah. I think. Well, I was gonna even say like um like and Keys and Kintsugi, Like, how'd you feel about those records? And then post. Uh, Chris Wall, I don't even know. Do you even care for Narrow Stairs?
3: Um, you no, know, I, I like. Yes, I like all of those records, like you know, to varying degrees. You know, I don't. Uh, I don't always. I think Kintsugi is the only one that I like. Don't actively listen to and pick up and think about. Um, you know, Codes and Keys and you know, Narrow Stairs. Like those are those are records that I you know still put on and I'm like like oh yes like I, I enjoy them and I I like what they're doing. Um, but the uh, I mean, I think uh, I I think, you know, since Chris Walla left on because if I'm not mistaken, he didn't have any involvement on Kitsugi. Right. I think.
1: No, he produced it.
3: He produced it, but he didn't write any of the songs on it. I can't recall.
1: No, he recorded. He recorded everything, too. He, okay, he was. Yeah, he was fully he was fully in the album. He just didn't tour it at all. He okay. left after making he the record. Left after that.
3: OK, got it. Got it. Um, but uh, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I, I think Kintsugi, I guess maybe it just felt like that sort of transition record where they were trying to figure out kind of their their next steps or whatever, Um, whether or not, because, you know, whatever, looking at a band like Jimmy World, which is, you know, one of my favorite bands of all time, and, you know, they are you know what you're going to get with a jimmy world record you know like they're they're gonna you know be experimental to some extent uh but for the most part they're not going to be you know deviating from what they've been known for for the past you know 10 to 15 years or 20 i'm sorry that
1: that that band just doesn't release bad music even if it's not in my cup of tea like you know stylistically like uh, even like damaged is not my favorite jimmy world record by any means but it's still a good album like they made good music you know what i mean so I don't no know.
3: i no i i'm 100% with you but they uh they they've leaned into the fact that they're like yeah we're going to be you know we're going to push on certain songs on records we're going to you know be a little different but not to the extent where um you know they I don't I don't think I personally have never felt like they've had that sort of transition record to bridge a gap to go somewhere else, you know what I'm saying? Where as I think like you know maybe uh, whatever pulling it back to Deathcap, where it's like I think Kinsugi was a record in which they were like, okay, like this is kind of our transition to where we are going to go kind of in the future. It's not going to be so different to people who are going to be like oh this is you know whatever it's not going to be like a cave-in jump where it's just like oh yeah here we are metal hardcore and now we're you know failure ripoffs or whatever and yeah I, I, <laughs> I say that in the best you know in in the most non-disparaging way possible um but yeah but i feel like this you know kintsugi was kind of the the step where it's like okay like this is kind of where we're going in the future um and uh yeah so that and, and maybe that's why the I, that record doesn't resonate with me as much
1: yeah, no, I know. I, and I feel like Kintsugi, in, in my opinion, should have just been an EP because those first five songs. Awesome. The second half just falls flat for me.
3: Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. I've never thought about it in those terms. But yeah, I, I agree. That probably would have been, uh, you know, a better served release.
1: Yeah. And uh, I mean, and then it's like just like, hey, Chris, Wall, exit. And then like, uh, I guess cutting into thank you for today. Have you listened to the record? Like, what are your feelings or?
3: Yes, I, re- I really, really enjoy that record. I think it's, um, you know, it didn't didn't make my, you know, year-end list, but it definitely was in consideration. I, as far as like, you know, whatever, when I'm compiling my best of lists, like I always, you know, toss records I enjoy into a playlist and then, you know, kind of listen to it on shuffle and see how those those songs resonate with me over time. But um, yeah, I really, really like the record. I think it's, um, you know, probably their best in my opinion since, um, you know, Narrow Stairs. I think um, I like yeah. it better than Codes and Keys uh so yeah i think it's and but it's weird kind of going back to you know what we were previously talking about with um you know bands and seeing them live like i haven't seen death cap live uh in a while like i think i saw the last time i saw them was probably on their plans tour cycle maybe i saw them once on narrow stairs i can't recall but um, i saw them i saw them a lot on transatlanticism and plans um, you know, playing like massive, you know, stadium. Like, yeah, of course. <laughs> I saw them at a, uh, it's like the uh, UC Irvine campus here at like their basketball stadium or whatever. Um, yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, which is, which is huge. But um, so, yeah, but I, I definitely think that, you know, whatever, over the course of the next year, year and a half when they come through, um, that I'll be like, yeah, I, I need to see Death again.
1: Yeah, I mean, like uh, the first time me seeing them, uh, it's very reminiscent of the way that you saw the National at uh, the the Hollywood cemetery kind of deal. I saw them in Williamsburg park right on the river and literally the sun was setting on the city. They literally stopped playing. It was on the codes. It was right on the codes and keys just came out. Um, Uh And uh, they played for two and a half hours. And it was just like the sun was setting. They stopped playing during one of the songs, during marching bands in Manhattan. It was just like, look at the city, guys. Because <laughs> I like, turn around it's just like this. Just It, it was just so, – it was like the perfect moment. I mean I was already into the band, but it was like it, it, just the perfect moment that just made me capture and fall in love even more with this band. Because I feel like live performances, like uh, like listening to a record as a whole can do so much. But then live performances with me kind of pushed me over the edge into that band.
3: I, yeah I love that like anytime and I think that's what I really enjoy about you know artists that uh, you know kind of live in this whatever you know quote unquote indie rock world it's like anytime you feel like you know uh, one of uh, another in, uh, very very high on my all time favorite lists uh, of artists is Bon Iver and I've seen him probably probably about close to 10 times too. probably you know maybe equal of what the, the national uh, is but I I think the most recent time I saw him, my wife and I actually flew to Milwaukee to go see him. He did a, a 10-year anniversary, just one show in Milwaukee uh, for, for Emma forever ago. Um, and he, you know, whatever, played, played the basketball stadium where the Milwaukee Bucks play. So it's like you're talking about, it's completely sold out, of course.
1: Yeah, of course.
3: <laughs> but watching him do that, you know, he made the room feel like he's playing in front of, you know, 500 people um which you know that's and that's what artists like you know death cab and like all of these bands have the ability to do where it's just like yes they're playing in front of a boatload of people but they're focused on making sure that you know everybody feels uh you know included like and whether it's like conscious or unconscious i'm not i'm not sure because i've never played a show that large <laughs> for <laughs> for that many people over a long period of time <laughs> but uh i just think it's like those th- that show that you're talking about you know national the cemetery you know like those are the the events that are just like it's almost like i i'll be like i don't even really care who is playing i think i just need to go to the show you know you have that feeling yeah, sometimes exactly. like i think this is going to be special
1: yeah, yeah. no and, and that's like there's some shows where it's just like i'm not even super into the bands but I like just that lineup and just where the fuck they're playing is just like holy shit like like my bucket list i've never i've never um gotten my ass out there but like i really want to see a band at red rocks because I just oh, feel like yeah. I could I could see anybody at Red Rocks, and I could be like, "Wow, this is my new favorite band," just because based on that experience. <laughs>
3: totally. I I I would probably draw some lines. Be like, I don't know if I really care to see fish at Red Rocks or whatever, but I understand your point. <laughs> yeah,
1: see, I'm a hardcore kid who's also a deadhead, so <laughs> uh,
3: it's okay. I'm I'm not I'm not gonna not not be friends with you, but uh, yeah, I just I'll just look at you, little suspect. It's okay.
1: <laughs> well, it's funny because uh, I was talking to Joey about um uh he was like because we were talking about folk stuff and i was like well and we were talking about grateful dead and i was like well if you just like listen to american beauty like i'm not like into like listening to live records all the time but like american beauty is like it's just a beautiful folk record like if you like connor obers go for it <laughs> you'll love it <laughs> my yeah. shame it's not like the dead have like no fans and totally need me just you know spinning them and getting another one but you know <laughs>
3: yeah yeah okay yeah well i'm not gonna follow you there but that's okay it's all good
1: <laughs> that's fair um all right uh i guess i want to switch things up a little bit and go into uh kind of you as a person um i kind of want to talk about taking if that's okay
3: i would, uh, I, I would love to uh
1: yeah Go into going to like let's do a whole story about it <laughs> like all that kind of stuff because that's well documented in in your podcast as well as in uh lead singer syndrome so um I want to just kind of hit some points. Um, So I would just want to talk about like, why weren't you guys in Buffalo? Because I feel like you guys just would have fit into that scene so much more. (laughs) Yeah, I I know.
3: I think we, we only played Buffalo maybe once. I think Um, I'm trying to, yeah, I think, yeah, I think we only played Buffalo once, but I did, I did spend some time there, Uh, went to that record store, home of the hits or whatever. Um, But yeah, I mean, we, <clears throat> there was definitely a lot, especially just because we did so well in the East coast of Can you know, whatever Toronto, the suburbs of Toronto, there definitely was a point of like, man, like I wish we could have existed in this scene. not to say that we didn't experience the benefits of existing in the, you know, exploding orange County hardcore scene. Cause we did, you know, we played huge yeah. shows out here. Um, uh, but we never, we never fit in sonically to what was happening here in Southern California, you know, for good or bad, like people, uh, you know people wanted to mosh out here and people want to mosh everywhere i get it um <laughs> but yeah. there definitely there definitely was a, a time where it was like <clears throat> we always felt like we were sorry <clears throat> my i've got a frog in my throat um <laughs> But yeah, we always felt like we were searching for, you know, kind of our sister bands across the country, whether it was like, you know, This Day Forward or Alexis on Fire, um, Curl Up and Die was a, obviously a huge, you know, band uh, of ours as far as friends were concerned. But, you know, they didn't sound mm-hmm. like us, but we worked well together just because we were such close friends. Um, but yeah, there was definitely times where it was like, yeah, I, I wonder what it would have been like if we were, you know, from a different scene that like had some bands that kind of sounded like what we were doing. But, um, you know, at the same time. I'm glad that we didn't kind of that we didn't uh, fit in because I think a lot of it was um, you know even though you know we played with bands like you know Bleeding Through and Throwdown and 18 Visions and all that sort of stuff it was nice to have um, you know a wider uh, palette of (laughs) bands to work with so it wasn't all just like 18 Visions clones and you know Throwdown clones it was like oh yeah here's you know if you like melody like listen to Taken and if you don't like melody then you can just ignore them and (laughs) not watch them so
1: Yeah, I mean, the only reason I'm saying that is just, like, seeing you guys, like, on a show with, like, Snapcase and Buried Alive is just like, okay, that makes sense. (laughs) No, No, totally, totally. And I I think that's that's what was –
3: we were always stoked that we could fit on, you know, pretty much any bill. Like, as far as like if it's heavier, like we would be able to do it, or if it was like, you know, playing with Hello Goodbye or whatever. Like, we would always be able to kind of fit on these different bills in ways that, uh you know, some of our peers weren't. Like, we, you know, I mean, I remember one time we played a show with Arch Enemy and we did not fit in, and like that was obvious. We knew going into it that we weren't gonna fit in. Yeah, uh, but. It, we, we did have the ability to kind of like, you know, uh, slot ourselves in in places that uh, other bands from our scene weren't weren't necessarily as uh, easy to do. You know, like whatever 18 Visions and on those bands could obviously play the more metal shows and they would, you know, completely fall into that. But then it, it's way more of a stretch if like, you know, not not saying that like we ever played with Newfound Glory, but Newfound Glory would have an easier time maybe asking us to play just because we had kind of sounded like shy Lude than, you know, 18 Visions or whatever.
1: Yeah. And I, I like how, I don't know. I think it was, I was listening into my research, uh, if you will, uh, I, at Lead Singer Syndrome. You were like, yeah. And like, because I touched a mic, I was asked to be in Shah <laughs> it's, just,
3: <laughs> it's very true. It's very true. Anybody, anybody that's ever existed in the Shah Lude ecosystem has been asked to sing for them, has either sent some audition of demo tapes for them. And I remember when I did my because uh, yeah Matt Fox of course asked me at more than one point in in their musical life to sing for them and I remember doing I was recording with a friend like you know Matt Fox sent me to uh, I think it was demo God, I kind of can't even remember like what record it was but it, whatever it just sent me instrumental uh, songs and then sent me the lyrics and I started singing them and I was just like I can't like I literally can't do this. Like there are too many words. There's like no time for breath. Like I can't even do it. So like I, I just hit Matt back and I'm like, dude, I'm sorry. I, I literally don't have the lung capacity to sing in your band.
1: That's pretty funny. Um I, I guess I want to jump forward a little bit just into uh your your guys' latest release, which is uh with regard to um holy shit. <laughs> it's um I I I totally, I I, I I connected with it on a personal level because my mother also went uh, had cancer. I mean, thankfully she survived and everything. And, right. I'm, and uh, i and I know that your wife has survived, and I hope she's really doing well. Um, but I just it, it tore me to shreds, man. Like, what was like in a good way? <laughs> like, I, I, oh, I, I don't I know understand. how to say that. Buddy. But like, no, 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 I um, it, 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 if you don't mind, just like it, talking about kind of if you can kind of just give me like hey, because I know you guys were trying to record something, but I don't know if it's like this was the jumping off point where it's like, hey, I have something to say and I really want to fucking do this. Or was it like, hey, we're writing a record and then it just kind of happened at the same time? Yeah, yeah. No,
3: it's a great question because, I mean, yeah, I've... I've answered shades of that same question but not to the extent of where like you know what came (laughs) this is totally high fidelity like you know what came first the music or the message man Um, (laughs) but it was uh so the the music came first in the sense of like we had these two songs like you know we were this is back in like 2011 where we were going over to japan we were rehearsing for some show for uh, the shows in japan and you know i came into practice one day and like you know they were warming up with something where i was just like this sounds like taken but this is one of our songs i was like did you guys write a new song and they were like (laughs) yeah it just kind of came out i'm like what the heck dude this is what are we doing we're not a band why are we doing this and so we and then like all the sound checks of all the shows we played in japan like we played the song and it was just like oh well that's a pretty good song like that's cool so anyways after we got back from japan i was like guys like let's let's do like why not like we have you know we had that song and then we had one other song i was like let's just put together like you know a three song ep like there's no pressure we're not a band and so <clears throat> over the course of the next like you know five years we tried to do the whole right over the internet thing and it just was not working at all and so then finally i was like all right guys like you know most of us are spread like three of us are located in Southern California, but then our bassist Nick plays in Circus Survive and he's in Philly and our guitarist is... clearly not busy at all. No, not busy. It's like, (laughs) dude, why don't you drop this dumb full-time band to do this like completely, completely part-time band (laughs) from high school. Um, And so our guitarist is up in Northern California. And so then I just basically was like, all right, guys, give me a Friday, a Saturday, and a Sunday. We're just going to lock ourselves away in a rehearsal studio and just like finish writing these songs. Because once we have the songs finished... Uh, we have our friend Bo Bruchel, the producer of the EP. I was like, he'll be able to help us put this all together. Um, as far as like, you know, figuring out when we record and all that stuff. And, uh, so we had all that done. Uh, and then, you know, that worked. We locked ourselves and put like, you know, 15 hour days of trying to finish this stuff. And we did, and then we had five songs. And so then as the process of recording started to happen, you know, of course, like we did the drums first and then did the guitars and vocals are usually always last. Mm -hmm. And so, I had a whole set of lyrics for um, these songs. And then, you know, that's when my wife was diagnosed with cancer. It was like November 2016. And so I was set to record uh, vocals, I think, in February of 2017. And so as that stuff started to happen, and I was just like, these other lyrics are absolutely meaningless. Like, they just don't mean anything to me. And so after a good, you know, month, month and a half of kind of soul searching, I, you know, went to the guys and I was like, hey, I there's here's here's these lyrics and they've never um like vetoed any idea I've had lyrically like they trust me and I you know couldn't be more thankful from that perspective but I felt like okay I I didn't want to like just put this you know all of a sudden start to sing these songs and they're kind of like oh oh this is interesting right like we've never done any sort of like themed thing. But uh, yeah, it took them the idea of like, hey, I really want to make this all about this this uh, journey that, you know, I am currently going on and I'm, I'm going to continue to go on. Um, and so, yeah, I put it to them and they were like, oh, yeah, man, like, you know, we, we would love we, we would feel honored to be, you know, a privilege of this uh, or we would be privileged to go on this journey with you. And so, yeah, then I just started to, you know, throw out those old lyrics, dove into um, everything else from that perspective as far as like. The idea. I think I wrote, <clears throat> I think I wrote, uh, regret first, and um, then I just started to kind of piece this together where I was like, okay, I want to tell the story in a more linear fashion of what it was like when we first received the diagnosis to the feelings I had of like, oh, like, I my life is going to look irrevoc- irrevocably different if she is no longer here, um, and how will that? how will that feel and you know just kind of walk through that process and as i started to you know kind of do that that's when it all just started to really um not easily flow but i had a a a narrative in which i was trying to kind of write towards and then yeah it all kind of just fell together from that perspective and then the band was like i we, we love it we can't wait for you to yell over it <laughs> and so then i did <laughs>
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, I will say personally, like it it hit all my heartstrings. (laughs) Um, I I, I, got to say this because I I just got to. Um, I was like listening to the record, like while I was doing like a little bit of research on you and like, you know, getting prepared for the interview. And then like I looked on your Instagram and I saw a picture of like you and your family, like when you were just on that vacation and I was listening to the record and I just like started bawling because like that's. A picture, like when I see my 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 mom and my dad uh, occasionally go to Aruba, and like just seeing them together and being able to like after this thing almost tore us apart, um, seeing those moments like almost just like I don't know just overcame I, me.
3: No, I honestly, I really, I mean, I really appreciate you saying that because I, my the the entire uh, process of putting, you know, this experience out there, um, not pulling any punches in regards to the way that either I was expressing myself or showing uh, myself to the world. Because I mean, most people look at, you know, how you share your life on social media, as, you know, it's an act, it's this performative thing that you do, where it's just like, Oh, look, at all the cool stuff I'm doing. And like, of course, everybody is wrapped into that from a certain perspective. But then it was like, I was actually having a discussion with a friend recently, where his, um, you know, his, his, he has a newborn child, and the child had to spend about, you know, eight days in the hospital because um, it was like he, he was very dehydrated and was like, you know, b- basically just allergic to something they couldn't figure out what. But yeah. we were talking about, um, I didn't know what he was going through until he posted something on Instagram where it's like, you know, I just went through like, you know, eight days of like the hardest thing I've ever had to go through, and so you know, I called him after the fact and we were kind of talking about that act of sharing where it's like it's not so much like it, it he he was like basically it was a call for help of like hey like this is what i just went through um i would like my friends to know where i'm at and uh you know if you like actually do physically care about me like you know you'll reach out and you'll do that uh, as opposed to like you know how are you supposed to share that like you're supposed to like, text your friends like oh man like you know going through something right now it's like it, you know we live in a world where we can share that information pretty uh quickly and and uh, catch the you know widest amount of people. And so I think as I was stepping through that and, you know, going through the journey of of you know notifying people who, you know, you and I obviously never met up until this point. And the fact yeah. that my experience can inform your experience of what you've had. Like that's the stuff where I'm just like, dude, it is so, so meaningful to me that not only the art can impact people in you know very positive ways but that other people like it'll all bring us that much closer together because of like a singular experience and so yeah I just I I love that you express that because that's like that that is like the literal boomerang effect of like what uh, you know in an ideal world what I kind of envisioned putting this all out there not only on the EP but just like you know sharing on social media and being like oh hey like this is what we were going through so yeah I'm I'm really glad you expressed that. So thank you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no problem. I, I, I don't mean to dive too deep or whatever, but. Um, no, I, so, yeah, I love it. I love it. Yeah. 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 And it's just like, I, I don't know, at, at least in the, because uh, a bunch of other, other family members around I have like cancer and stuff like that. I feel like it's important to talk about the journey, like kind of your point. It's just like, there's no reason to be silent about it. Because I feel like in, in talking about it, it kind of makes everyone feel better and kind of feel connected in a, in a certain way. So. Yeah, no, uh, it, t-
3: but, it totally does. I, I, cause I think it's, I think it's really important not to, um, gloss over, uh, not only experiences, but, uh, gloss over, you know, both the good and bad things. And I think that's what, when, you know, there's a difference between oversharing and, uh, sharing, you know, oversharing is like, you know, every literal, you know, thought that passes your mind with no, (laughs) no editing whatsoever, you know, kind of goes out there. But it's like, if you're putting some, you know, thought into what it is you're putting out there, um, that it, it's there's nothing really bad that's going to come out of it in my opinion you know especially when you're just sharing you know your experiences you know it's a different story if you're like you know sharing your political beliefs over you know in your super racist obviously like that's not that's not cool <laughs> <to share. laughs>
2: but that's an extreme example
3: but yeah no, I, I i do agree with your point of just like that's you putting it out there you never know how that will uh impact someone in a in a positive manner you know
1: no, I yeah, I I I couldn't say enough great things about the the seven, and I'm I'm not trying to blow smoke up your ass or anything. I just think it's a beautiful record. I, um, I, I appreciate it. But anyway, uh, I guess on a little lighter note, <laughs> no problem. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, just diving into like hundred words or less. I mean, I feel like you're more known for that now, right? <laughs> like, frankly, like in your opinion, it, Would you it's kind say of, for them being he, taken.
3: No, it it is weird because they're. I mean, existing in independent music for as long as I had, whatever, I'm 38 years old and like, you know, been going to shows since I was, you know, 15 or 16 years old. So I think uh, to your point, I, th- I do think, yes, like people, I mean, especially it's like if I'm at a show and someone comes up to me and is like, dude, I love the podcast, like You know, first of all, that's like an additional layer of research that you have to do to like, know. I mean, which is not difficult. You just Google my name and you know what I look like. But it's the fact that people are (laughs) making that that causal connection of like, oh, hey, like, you know, I've taken the effort to not only listen to your show, but like know what you look like and actually to go the extra step of saying like, dude, I like your podcast. So I do think in many respects that I, I people know me from that, but then it's so weird because then it's like you know whatever I, we p- taken played some shows uh, last December in Canada, and there were people who had never ever heard of the band or seen the band, but they're just like, dude, I love your podcast, so I like, came to check out your band, and I'm like, that is so sick! Like I love that fact, and then there are people who are just like, you know, a band that I played in after Taken called Makoto, which is like left zero cultural impact whatsoever. Like people do not talk to me about that, but occasionally. People still sort of like, oh, dude! I remember seeing you and like, you know, Chain Reaction in two thousand eight or whatever. I was like, wow, dude! Like, literally, no one talks to me about that. But cool, I'm glad that that impacted you in some capacity. So, um, but I mean, to, to answer your question, I I do think that the podcast. I mean, obviously, since the the band is a you know a little bit quote unquote more active now, that people do come at me for that and are like, you know, they w- want to talk to me about that as opposed to the podcast. But I just. The joy I get out of putting anything out into the world is the fact that, like, yes, of course, like, you know, one thing benefits the other. Like, if people know about the band, they probably know about the podcast and vice versa. But then other times people just know about the the one thing where they're like, oh, I know about the band. but like, oh, I didn't even know you had a podcast. And, like, I, you know, tr- try to promote myself, but not in the most, like, you know whorish manner of just like oh yeah here's here's ray Harkins.com, with like yeah i also sell like you know <laughs> r- r- herbal supplements or whatever you know it's like no i'm not not trying to be that one-stop shop guy but uh but it yeah the fact that anybody pays attention to anything is just like that's cool man like i'm glad you're on the journey i don't care if you like my band i don't care if you like the podcast like if you do cool like let's hang out but um even if you don't let's hang out but uh yeah the the podcast is definitely where i think most pe- just because it's so consistent too you know i've been really yeah diligent and putting out an episode every week for for many many years so
1: yeah i was gonna say man like (laughs) like we me and ali um uh you gotta get my co-host yeah we we try to uh put it up you know we break it up into seasons and kind of do with our podcast kind of like i mean we're only on season two we've only been doing this for about six to seven months but it's like you know sometimes life gets in the way and it's just rough but i um i'm just curious like do you like still book all the bands yourself and like and all the public uh, hit up all the publicists and everything or do you, or is is it still D- super DIY or is it like?
3: Nah, it's all it's all yeah, it literally all lands on my shoulders. Um, I used to have. Well, the only thing that doesn't land on my shoulders, I have a friend, uh, Dave Deff, who's a long, long time friend of mine. He does all the graphics and images and stuff like that. So, you know, when I'm promoting it on social media, when you see the the episode record cover look cool looking things, that's not me. Um, okay. <laughs> but uh, everything else is me as far as like, you know, booking the guests and getting, um, you know, the figuring out when I'm meeting up with the person and recording them and all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, I mean, fortunately, it. Now that the, the show has existed for a long period of time, people are like, I, there isn't much convincing I need to do when I approach people to appear on the show. Like people are like, oh, yeah, like, you know, whatever random examples like, uh, you know, Pat Flynn from Half Heart. Like I'm going to be, you know, I, in the next couple of weeks, I'll be releasing an episode I did with him.
1: Talking and about Fiddlehead, I assume? <laughs>
3: exactly. Um, <laughs> and so – with him, it was just one of those things where it was like, you know, he started following the podcast and then I was like, oh, yeah, I've always wanted to speak to Pat. We have a million mutual friends, but like, you know, I just hit him up and I was like, hey, dude, do you want to be on this? He's like, sure. And so. It doesn't take that much effort from that perspective, um, but uh, but yeah, I still do chase down where it's like, you know, people where it's like, oh yeah, I really like this record. I would like to talk to this person, or like you know, I've recently, uh, I know this timing wise, this isn't going to uh, you know make sense, but like in uh, in mid January, I'm posting an episode. I've been chasing John K. Sampson from. The weaker the ends for years, like probably two and a half years. I wanted him on the show, and I finally got him, and I interviewed him, and it was absolutely incredible. Um, so it does still take a decent amount of effort sometimes, but uh, yeah, it's all still all a uh, self contained shop over here.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's that's awesome, and that's that's uh, uh, that's really cool to hear. Um, I guess, uh, and uh, what else? Uh, you also work for like a podcasting advertising company, right? I believe.
3: I do. Yeah. I work for a company called, uh, the, well, the overall brand is called Stitcher. Uh, it's like a podcast player, but, uh, there's like
1: so I'll, I'll listen to my podcast as well. So there you go. Thanks
3: for the support. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, but yeah, so the company I work for is that I, I used to do sales for them. So I would, you know, obviously we represent like 200 plus podcasts and, you know, I would talk to, you know, ad agencies and get them to advertise on podcasts and stuff like that. Um, I'm moving over into a marketing role now where I'm uh, helping um, just kind of it, basically, it's like a sales marketing role. So um, that's changing in the next uh, couple of weeks or so. But uh, yeah, I've been working for them for about three years just because they sell ads for my podcast. And that's how I got introduced to uh, the job in the first place where they're like, hey, do you want to come work for us? And I was working at PETA at the time and I enjoyed it, but it was definitely like, oh, yeah, I want to kind of change it up a bit. And then, um, yeah, I've been doing that ever since. And so it's uh, it's really interesting. The podcast industry mimics the music industry like almost in the exact same ways where it's just like podcasts or bands. Um, you know, these networks that represent shows or like record labels. Um, it's just so weird because like, <laughs> I, there are so many things that I see that are similar that I'm just like, wow, basically is every arm of the entertainment industry just like different shades of this thing where it's like, it probably is. But yeah, I just never thought that the podcast industry would, would, uh, would mimic the music industry, but it absolutely does.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I can only imagine it. I mean, I, I remember saying that in the past, um, I guess, uh, I don't want to keep you here forever, but uh, I just have a couple more questions if you don't mind. No problem. Uh, uh, so I, it's funny. You should say the, um, uh, you worked for PETA and I know that you're pretty vocal about ve- being, being, uh, I believe you're vegan, not vegetarian, right?
3: Correct. Yeah. I've been like, okay. based most, of, I think it was about 15 when I went vegetarian. And so like been, you know, vegetarian, vegan ever since then.
1: Okay, gotcha. So uh, you're vegan and you're also straight edge. Um, which um, a question? It just I'm personally neither of those things. I grew up in the restaurant business, so it was kind of it was not going to happen. <laughs> so um, <laughs> like my parents own uh, two fine dining restaurants in uh, in New Jersey, so it's it just wasn't in the cards. Right. Um, but anyway. Uh, just kind of touching on I'm just curious coming from like you know most people don't stick with straight edge and and veganism for that long especially into almost their 40s I'm yeah. just curious like as uh a, you know I, I kind of thought of this question in in terms of like uh, I don't know if you saw the documentary the other f-word but yeah. um do you like how do you feel about pairing impressing this you know veganism and straight edge on their kids do you think that they should let it be like a choice or like or do you think like like what are your thoughts around that
3: yeah no it's a it's a great question because it's something that I think most uh anybody that has come from like our scene that you know is is of an age to have children like how that how that plays itself out because yeah that documentary is very uh interesting from that perspective because you You want your kids to, you know, obey you as a parent, but then you're like, well, I didn't really obey my parents in many respects because I did this thing and I got into a subculture or whatever. But um, (laughs) but anyways, but speaking from my own personal experience. So, yeah, I have a seven-year-old son and we're raising him vegetarian. um, And that basically once he comes of an age where he is, like, interested in trying, you know, meat, then, you know, we're not going to be like, oh, no, we don't do that. And when I say of an age, like, I mean, he, you know, he's seven and he's literally expressed zero interest whatsoever. He's like you know, if, if I were to, uh, you know, make a joke about it, he's like, you know, straight up like hardline vegetarian. Like he just, he's not (laughs) judgmental of other people, but he's just like, why would you eat your friends? Like, and he's literally used that, like, cause the whole, our biggest thing isn't so much to, uh, indoctrinate him with the, uh, you know, idea that like, oh, you know, being vegetarian is, makes you superior to people. Like, you know, that clearly not the, uh, not the approach that we're going for, but we wanted to make it clear where it's like, yes, these these are animals and these are, uh, you know, this is food. And a lot of people don't make that causal connection, you know, where it's like that just doesn't – it doesn't occur. This hamburger on the plate, like that was a cow. And so that was the biggest thing that we were trying to, uh, you know, pass on to him where it's just like it isn't so much the fact like you have to be this way otherwise like you're a failure in our eyes. It's <laughs> It's like – you just make this connection. You understand that, you know, if you do decide to, you know, eat meat like that, that are, they are animals and like, you know, you, you like animals. So like, just, you know, make that a consideration in your little head. Um, yeah, so, just be like
1: cognizant of it, of the fact that this is, this is, you know, it is an animal that's, you know, that's what you're eating. That kind of precisely, thing.
3: So. Precisely. And like, and to be clear, like we understand we are, you know, like it, we have forced that upon him. Like he has not had a different reality from that perspective. But, uh, like I said, at the same time, um, he has never expressed anything uh, otherwise uh, to 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 show that he is interested in like oh this is what my friends are eating and stuff like that. So I mean, once he does, then obviously we'll cross that bridge. But um, you know, as of right now, he doesn't doesn't show an interest. And then as far as like the straight edge thing, you know, it's. It's just basically about communicating to him like the uh, th- I mean, the simple stuff as far as like, you know, like, hey, smoking, like, you know, why do people do that? Like, <laughs> it's kind of, you know, <laughs> we can't we let him lead some of the conversations. And it's like, you know, his his grandparents, you know, like, they you know, drink wine and beer and stuff like that. So it's it's and we don't say to him like, oh, you know, look at these evil people that are drinking alcohol or whatever, because um, that that is a more. Uh, nuanced discussion as obviously he gets to an age in which that stuff gets introduced to him or whatever um but you know he's, he's like he understands the the concept of like what oh yeah like mommy and daddy like they don't drink and um they don't drink alcohol and stuff like that but we haven't really um focused on that being like you know alcohol is evil well, I, like, well, and I, I know you weren't saying that
1: yeah, 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 well, and I, I also assume that, like, you know, he's also younger. I just mean, like, you know, as like, you know, he, I, I I don't think he's trying to sling beers yet. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no uh, for
3: sure. But but there but there is like there is that that notion of, you know. Uh, Having children in and of itself is a very selfish act. Like it is a very uh, egotistical act because like, you know, we already have plenty of people on this planet. And so like that is a a very selfish thing to create this this child, you know, out of your own image and your own genes and stuff like that. Like I I recognize that. Um, But the thing that I uh, always try to focus on is the fact like this is this is an individual. Um, We, uh, of course, shape him and we, of course, uh, you know, guide him. And that's the role of a parent. But, you know, at the end of the day, I don't want him to be some, like, little version of myself. Like, I don't want... Yeah, it's like, of course, he's going to have similar tastes because it's like, dude, he likes Donald Duck because I love Donald Duck. I showed him Donald Duck and, like, we're cool with that. Yeah. But, <laughs> um, you know, the fact that he is, like, you know, super into, you know, Mary Poppins and Beauty and the Beast, like, awesome. Like, that's cool. Like, I have his love for that has amplified my love for that um and i learned from him and see the joy that he gets out of that but that wasn't something that you know i was putting in front of him to be like oh dude you got to get into this you know it's like oh man here's a you know here's a dark throne record like check this out like he doesn't okay. he, ha- he has no interest whatsoever in you know the heavy music or anything like that the screaming stuff like he's seen taken and play and he's just like He's like, that's cool what you do, daddy, but like, it's way too loud. And I'm like, totally respect, dude, totally respect. <laughs> um, so, but I, I really, I, I do think that that is something that I, I really try to protect that he's his own little individual and not just like, you know, cool, I'm going to raise a little hardcore kid or whatever. It's like, nah, yeah. dude, I just want him to care. I want him to find stuff that he cares about. And I want him to be passionate about, you know, the creative pursuits, whatever that may mean. So it's, uh, yeah, those, are those are the, the, I guess the North star as far as that's concerned.
1: Yeah, I I just think it's interesting coming from like the hardcore scene and the subculture that we're a part of um, or I, you know, uh, it's just interesting to kind of touch upon that and like how that kind of carries over into like parenthood and that kind of stuff. So totally. No,
3: absolutely. I I think it is. It is a very uh, fraught um topic because you see uh certain parents that are within the context of you know generationally speaking like older than me and have like older kids and have you know exposed them to a bunch of stuff and taking them to shows and stuff and like that's cool um i just really truly hope that whatever it is that they are are into it is like their own journey as opposed to like um you know just whatever being forced onto them by their parents and like they haven't really been able to give any conscious thought and like
1: well i don't know if i really like all this stuff you know yeah, like, here's Minor Threat and Earth Crisis. You're going to listen to this on repeat until you yeah. can recite everything, damn it. <laughs> totally. There's,
3: there could be nothing more displeasing than that. That sounds horrible.
1: <laughs> exactly. Um, well, I guess I want to end on uh, just one note. I'm going to completely rip it, kind of like you did the, on the uh, the Norm episode. Uh, and I believe I talked to you this on Instagram. Uh, I love uh, it. But I'm going to do my, my own little uh, uh, anti-matter ripoff. Uh, it's... Uh, What was the last performance, um, song, or album that made you have goosebumps, or like just just feel this emotive, either or ball or cry?
3: (laughs) Right, yeah, yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, I'm trying to think, Um, and like this isn't because I haven't cried recently because I cry. uh, I I was actually talking to another friend of mine about this recently, where I'm just like, I've always been, you know, a crier and a super emotional dude. But like now, as I find myself even getting, you know, getting older, it's like uh, there are so many things that just make me cry. And it's like I feel like I'm like a raw nerve most of the times where I'm just like, oh, most uh, do other people just like cry at a drop of a hat. But I don't know. Whatever. Um, So I think I mean, I think the last thing that uh, well, this is going to sound bizarre but like so anyways the the past couple months have been you know really uh tough for me in regards to my professional life just because there's been a lot of transition and a lot of turmoil um in regards to like you know shifting roles and all this other stuff like you know whatever just kind of typical work stress stuff yeah um But uh, like there are, uh, speaking of my son, where he uh, you know loves Mary Poppins, like you know loves the original. We saw Mary Poppins Returns, and incredible movie, incredible soundtrack. And so listening, and like most children, they listen to stuff four hundred and seventy-five thousand times in a row. So like we've all, I've pretty much listened to exclusively in the car with him is the Mary Poppins Returns soundtrack. And so I think that was the last uh like song from like there's a the, this song called Triple little light fantastic by lin-manuel miranda you know of hamilton yeah. fame um <laughs> but like, you're listening to that song is uh yeah it's just you know it's very uh inspirational it's very just like you know you like when you're going through hard times like you know you gotta you gotta trip little light fantastic and you know just follow your own um uh, whatever, uh, you know, gets you through the day, you, you follow that light and, and you, uh, use that as kind of your, your inspiration from that perspective. And so there, uh, yeah, it was probably about a, you know, a month or so ago where it's like, we were listening to that and it was just like, hell yeah, dude, you're totally right. Like, and it's just like every cliche possible in regards to like, yeah, you know, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps or whatever. And I'm just like, it hit me hard. And I was like, oh yeah. So it's like, you know, I didn't, I didn't well up into you know a ball of emotion like as I was driving my son to karate or whatever, but I was, still, I was just like, yeah. oh yeah, this is hitting me in a real way, dude. <laughs> so yeah, that was, that was probably, yeah, Mary Poppins Returns, which I
1: doubt that that was a response that you were <laughs> anticipating, but there you go. <laughs> hey man, it's a, it is what it is. Well, um, Ray, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time and really uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast.
3: No problem, dude. It was my absolute pleasure.
2: Let's say you're lost in a park sure you can give in to the dark or you can trip a little light fantastic with me when you're alone in your room your choice is just embrace the gloom or you can trip a little light fantastic with me for if you hide under the covers, you might never see the day. But if a spark can start inside your heart, then you can always find the way. So when life is getting dreary, just pretend that you're a leery as you trip a little light fantastic with me. What's a leery? Why, it's what we lamplighters call ourselves, of course. Time to send up the call to arms. Leeries, trip the light and lead the way. Now when you're stuck in the mist, sure, you can struggle and resist, or you can trip a little like fantastic with me. Now say you're lost in the crowd, well you can stamp and scream out loud or you can trip a little life fantastic with me. And when the fog comes rolling in, just keep your feet upon the path, mustn't mope and frown or worse lie down, don't let it be your epitaph. So when life is getting scary, be your own illuminary who can shine the light for all the world to see as you. To trip a little light, fantastic, with me. O'Leary loves the edge of night, though dim to him the world looks bright. He's got the gift of second sight. To trip a little light, fantastic. O'Leary's job's to light the way. To take the night and make it day. We mimic the moon, yes, that's our aim. For we're the keepers of the flame. And if you're deep inside a tunnel and there is no end in sight Well just carry on until the dawn, it's darkest right before the light you mean? You say some of the rhymes only. Here, I'll show you how it works. Angus, give us your and wail! To the rest of you, that means tail. I was short of a sheep. He was in the street. Just to tumble down a sink. Just to get himself a drink. Then I pinched what's fat up. He grabbed it's his ladder. Small to smile and smirk. To work! You see, there's nothing to it. Can you speak Larry, Mary Poppins? Can I speak Leary? Of course she can, she's Mary Poppins! Can we do it with you? Please? Oh, very well then. Children, tell us your sorry tale.
0: Give us your weep and wail. Well,
2: we had this ball. Rabbit in the hole That fell and broke Bicycle spook So we took it to a shop Like a lollipop And went upside down That's a circus clown Then went to the bank Rattle and clang. Got lost in the fog Lump on a log. So we found a friend Who stand and defend Who took us on the trip Snap a horse's grip And we tripped the line fantastic! Now that sounds a little bit bombastic But they tripped the line We tripped the line They trip the line, They're They're the 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 line fantastic! fantastic.